Welcome to 96 Greers, a podcast where we discuss every feature film with Dame Judy Greer in the cast. I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And this is episode 11, where we are doing a bit of a swerve. Yes. Uh, I said in the intro that we discuss every feature film with Judy Greer in the title. And usually that is true for the last 10 episodes. That has been the case. Right. However, Judy Greer is not bound to the celluloid shackles. She's a free person. She's a free person. She can go where she wants. Versatile actor. She can be in Apple commercials. And a a traversatile actor. She can go different places. (laughs) Um, And we bring that up to say that uh, currently this summer, uh, Judy Greer is in a production of a new play uh, called Another Marriage. It's a world premiere uh, by uh, playwright Kate Arrington, uh, which is currently running at the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. And you might be wondering, what is another time-honored, lovingly crafted work that is produced in currently in Chicago, and the answer to that is 96 Greers. That's right. We're in Chicago. We are, and tonight we have tickets to see Another Marriage starring Judy Greer. Judy Greer, live on stage. So in about 90 minutes, we are going to be in the same room as Judy Greer and watch her act the fuck out of this role. It's going to be so exciting. We've only seen her on screen. We've only seen her on screen often in like three minutes or less. Yeah. Here she is the lead of the play. She's Yeah, she is the lead character. Um, it is a four-person cast. Yeah, um, like I said, it is a world premiere, um, so we don't really know what to expect. Um, it is, I have not read any advanced reviews. I think the one advanced review that I saw was from honored acquaintance of the podcast, Hannah, who is is a multiple show winner on Jeopardy, so you can absolutely trust her opinion. Oh, she knows. Hannah said it was very good. Oh, excellent. She saw it last week. So um, based based on that uh, that review, I have very high hopes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. One multiple times on Jeopardy. She probably knows. Oh, she, yeah, too. she knows her stuff. Yeah. 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 She she you, you can you can trust her opinion. Um, <laughs> so uh um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's as as a lot of Steppenwolf's work. It is it is realism. It is contemporary. Um, it it focuses on um, a man and a woman and their relationship um, across uh, decades of their life. It's my understanding that that Judy Greer and I guess the character who's playing her husband, um, the scenes that they're in range from the characters being in college together all the way up through like late middle age yeah um so that'll be really exciting too to to just um to see how uh actors uh how the actors portray these characters um across their lifespans judy greer very versatile actor still an actor in the film industry and therefore is not going to get cast as a 19 year old or you know some of these other ages at this point but that's of course the joy of theater exactly is is that there's the roles open up to you dramatically yeah yeah absolutely um uh yeah so um 
I, I think we're both very excited for this. Yeah, we're going to be back afterwards, and we're going to be talking about uh, mm-hmm. seeing Judy Greer on stage, and we're going to be talking about the play in general. Yeah, and um, if we're if we if we both sound a little hoarse and a little scratchy today, uh, it's because uh, Chicago's currently um, getting hit pretty hard by the air pollution from the wildfires in in Canada. Right. Um, so it's been it's been two days of masking up anytime we go outside and keeping the windows closed and um i i don't see that being a problem for actors like people who use their voice professionally it'll be interesting to see (laughs) hopefully hopefully they realize and have been you know locking themselves down and protecting their voice it is it is only like two or three days that they got to stay inside yeah yeah so um I mean, hotels generally have pretty good air filtration. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true, and 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 I'm sure. I mean, working in all different locations, that they know how to um, how to protect themselves and how to prepare um, properly for all kinds of situations. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, when uh, when we resume uh, recording this podcast, we will be fresh from the experience of having seen Judy Greer perform live. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless there's an understudy. I went to DePaul University, the theater school, um, going to college. Um, It was impossible if you're studying acting. I think it's impossible in the city in general to not know about the Steppenwolf Theater. And this is the club that you want to be in. So um, I've kind of made it my mission in life to, uh, to be able to sit at this table in the cafeteria. And here I am. So we meet Sunny when she's 19. And I think we say goodbye to her, I think maybe when she's in her mid to late 50s, early 60s. So that's another fun thing about theater. I get to play way younger and way older. Um, We meet this idealistic, fierce, confident college student who's obsessed with literature. We watch her life unravel and we watch her put it back together and what I'm finding really refreshing about this character is how committed she is to her art and to the way she wants to tell her stories but I also love her relationship with Nick her husband ex-husband friend I think what's cool about the play is it teaches you it teaches one that maybe you can be open to a change and evolution within yourself and within your art and within your relationships and that is inspirational But there wasn't an understudy. Yay! We saw Judy Greer. Yeah. It was live on stage. In in the flesh. It was very exciting. Yes. Um what did what did you think of another marriage? I thought it was very good. Mm. I thought I uh I thought the performances were good. I thought the characters were interesting. I liked you know, it, it's uh it starts with her, as we mentioned before, it starts with her at age uh nineteen, about it's this couple that sort of meets in college and Mm -hmm. it's about their marriage you know starting and them having a child together and their marriage falling apart and uh the relationship with the daughter and all that and like i liked seeing that the grand sweep of that story uh over Mm -hmm. the course of a play i feel like and i like to be like right up front like i don't know plays 
or theater nearly as well as I know films. Like I just, right. I have seen just monumentally less plays. Yeah. Same so here. like my own, my own takes on theater, I feel less confident about, but I did like the uh, grand sweep of like that stretch of time and mm-hmm. seeing how people change and like feeling the changes that happen in between the scenes when, uh, we get these like little scene headings on the screens above the stage that you know say like five months later, five years later, yeah. stuff like that. Like I like I liked coming into a scene and feeling the what has what has changed since the last time, mm-hmm. um, like in an instant. I thought it did all that kind of well, and I was yeah, it was just a, I just I really did enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, I I liked it quite a bit too. Um, I also enjoyed. Um, there's a sort of a writerly aspect. If, if that's a word like people say it's yeah. painterly so it's, yeah. it was writerly because um it is about a family um a family who is i mean not only a you know biological uh they're united by a love of literature and a love of writing um and there's sort of a, a structure to this play where um where uh the the daughter of the two main characters is observing the play the entire time and and she has um uh, an iPad that she's like writing on and what she's writing is projected on a screen above the stage. And you kind of get the sense that, um, that she is writing her, her mother's story. Right. Well, it's not, she's not limited to just standing outside the scene and, right. and writing it. Like she will also in between scenes help set up the next scene. Like yeah. she'll come in with a broom and sweep away the snowflakes from the scene before and right, right. scenes and stuff like that. So she, she does feel like sort of the custodian of her parents. Like it's like, yeah. it, it frames everything as the uh, prehistory of her. Um, yeah, and and then of course she becomes fascinated with the prehistory of her mother by telling the story of her grandmother. Yeah, um, that happens in the second act yeah. where she gets more of a voice and becomes a narrator in between scenes, telling the story of the character Judy Greer plays his mother, yeah. who she is named after, Josephine. Yeah, yeah. and um, then you also find out that Judy Greer's character is named after her grandmother. So you have four generations yeah. of women in this family with alternating first names. Yeah, and there's a couple. Um, other uh sort of stage again i don't i don't know theater very well i'm, I'm not going to say the right words but there's a few directing choices that like all mm-hmm. are also not writerly but like feel like um sort of big choices that are not about like super realism or whatever like yeah. the, the key sort of uh element of the set is that there is this sort of eight foot circle in the center of the set that rotates yeah and a lot of the scenes not every scene, but I would say a majority of the scenes mm-hmm. are built around centering on that circle and having characters be on that circle, whether it's because they're both sitting at a table that's on that circle mm-hmm. or they're both lying on a bed that's in that circle or they're just standing there looking at each other in that circle. Yeah. Um, so much of the scene, so much of the play is people in that circle that is rotating and that solves like a very uh, practical problem, which is it's a play in the round. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you, you can either have really unnatural blocking or you can have people look at the back of Judy Greer's head for Mm -hmm. like a 12 minute scene. Mm -hmm. But when you have the two characters having very natural blocking, but on a rotating circle, Mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, you can see all aspects of it. Yeah. But there's also a conceit with that circle that I felt where it was like when they, when people get intimate enough to be together inside of that circle, they're sort of circling each other. They're sort of in orbit with each other, like Mm -hmm. a planet or a moon or whatever. They are like sort of getting real with each other. They are. Mm -hmm. And then when they are outside of it, 
um, that's when they sort of get closed off. Or like if one person is in the circle, they're like under the microscope. There's uh, a repeated, uh, a recurring scene of Judy Greer going to the doctor right. for um, different problems, first with her baby and then later with uh, a chronic health issue that she has mm-hmm. as, uh, as she ages. Um, and like in those scenes, she is in the center and is sort of like being in near, it feels like she, you know, there's a hot spotlight on her and it's like, she's being interrogated by the doctor and she's like under scrutiny there. Yeah. There is sort of that, that recurring like scrutiny and, and sort of uh, a lack of empathy from the doctor. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I didn't really put that together until now, until now, but yeah, that, that part of the stage is sort of used for, um, the more, uh, intense character moments that the moments of, of, connection right. between the between uh characters and it is uh largely a play of two character scenes of scenes of two character conversations there's only um maybe a, a, a couple scenes in the whole play where it's you know um where it's three characters yeah yeah it's um, and, um, and it's only a, and it, it is only a cast of four actors right it is uh it is the daughter who is on stage for most of the time but in the periphery as we said setting up scenes uh via this ipad where she updates the screens there is judy greer's character there is uh the character of her husband i forget the name of the actor unfortunately Mm -hmm. um and then there is this sort of like fourth floating character who plays a variety of different women but Mm -hmm. primarily the second wife of the uh, Judy Greer's ex-husband, yeah. uh, later on ex-husband, yeah. But um, so I just I you know I really enjoyed it. I, it's funny. It's it's it, it to me it just it struck a really good tonal balance where I did think it was funny, but I did think it had depth and I did think it was interesting and I thought all the characters felt really wonderfully three dimensional and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I like I knew I knew this was going to be a weird episode because I really struggle talking about plays. Sure. Uh, for me, when I go see a play, I rarely actually understand the shape of it or like the, the broader things it's doing afterwards. Mm -hmm. If I'm studying a play, if I'm reading a play several times and I've seen it several times and I'm like, or I'm in a play and I'm seeing it from all the different angles, then I can understand it. Mm -hmm. But seeing a new play once, I'm just like, I like the experience of being there in the room with the actors and, you know, like it's... It's dumb. It's like, yeah, li- really limited insight on my part as far as the play. But I did, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I did as as well. The performances were very strong, um, very grounded and and human. Even when the characters are making decisions that you don't like, you still have compassion for them because they are, um, they are so so real and so well realized by uh by the the actors and and by the screenwriter i mean by the playwright i f- i felt like the arc of the story was maybe a bit too well worn of territory well yeah as Patrick said, it is a story of like a relationship, two people getting together, having a baby and their marriage falling apart. And it's like, well, he, you know, the husband, the actor's name is Ian Barford. So you have Sonny and her husband, Nick, and then uh, they're both writers and, and Nick feels sort of insecure about his own abilities as a writer. And they, they have a baby and it puts a strain on their relationship. So he 
has an affair with a younger woman who sort of idolizes him and, and tells him how, how great he is. And it just sort of felt like, okay, well, I, I don't think, but I, I think, I think the sort of interesting thing that this play does with that is it sticks around for the aftermath of that. Uh, and it handles it in a much more compassionate way, um, where in Act Two there is a scene between uh, Sonny and the the second wife Mac, uh, where they they have a moment um, of um, of of togetherness, where they don't become best friends, but. Um, you know, Sonny, has, who has a lot of animosity for Mac, sort of says, well, we are raising our child together. You're my daughter's stepmother, and we're sort of in this together, and shows more support for her, and, and grows in, in that way that she's able to find, like, compassion um, outside of, like, this injustice that was that was done to her, and she's able to find some, some she's able to, to extend some forgiveness. Yeah, I think, I think the play is often about like sort of this tension inside the characters between what feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy and their ability to step out of cycles and stuff yeah. like I think that's another thing about the circle is that it's like this feeling of a cycle yeah. and like part of that is the sort of circular nature of the names about mm -hmm. the you know people being named after their grandmothers yeah. and like part of that is like um, the husband writes a book about a uh, a man who you know a middle-aged man who cheats mm -hmm. and then he becomes a middle-aged man who cheats yeah and and Sonny has the experience of not having grown up with a mother because her mother died in childbirth and then um over the course of her life she's trying to write this novel that is her mother's story but can't quite bring herself to complete it yeah um so and and then with her daughter writing her story that's also an, another cycle of like um, of the the women in the novel telling their mother's stories, um, and but like specifically, uh, something I did like about the play is it is not just a very cynical, just sort of like yeah we're all doomed we're all stuck in our right. patterns that we can never escape. Like by the end of it, you know, um, so Sunny's mother died giving birth to her. Yeah. So part of the knowledge, what part of the, her story is that every day on her birthday is also the day her mother died. Yeah. And she's always remembered that. And the last scene of the play is her daughter's birthday. Um, mm -hmm. And the last scene of the play is the three of them, um, you know, still divorced, still not really a whole family, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, uh, not necessarily on the same page in a lot of ways, but mm -hmm. the three of them coming together for Josephine's birthday mm -hmm. and sort of finding the right balance mm -hmm. uh, and like finding uh, something that kind of works for them. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really um, fitting that the, the last scene, as I said, it's a very writerly structure and each scene sort of gets its own title. And that title is the present, both because it is where Josephine is in her life. She finally steps into the play and interacts with the other characters. And she isn't just this outside narrator. Um, so it is like her presence in where she is in her life, but it also is a present to her because it's her birthday. And there are scenes earlier in the play where uh, specifically her father, Nick, is trying to give someone a present and it falls through like Sunny has this this book that she can't get published and she's very frustrated so Nick um pays for it to to self-publish 
as a Christmas present and she gets she finds she feels really condescended to and she gets upset and they have a fight and then there's a scene later where they've broken up and, and he comes by and it's Christmas Eve and he's he's drunk and he has Christmas presents and and Sonny gives him this very cold reception so again it's like presents that aren't being accepted and then at the end it's like this present of each other right so what did you think about uh, Judy Greer's performance uh, I liked it it was so the the play the very first scene of the play is sort of this flash forward to the future where Josephine has gone away to college, mm-hmm. um, and the sort of divorced couple are now much older and you know in their fifties or whatever, and they and um, they're sitting on a park bench, uh, and he's sort of helping her up because she has this chronic health problem, and you don't exactly know that that you don't you think right. maybe it's her age or whatever, um, and without any context for the rest of the play. I was a little like, oh, it's, I don't know if that's like super convincing, like, oh, and it wasn't necessarily like a super realistic, like portrayal of old age or anything to me, like without any context for anything, but like seeing the full sweep of the play, something I did appreciate is that um, they did a lot of really fast costume changes, yeah. but they weren't trying to like do old age makeup. They weren't trying to like totally change their physicality. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like uh, the show was an excuse for like some stunt acting where it's like, we're going to age before your very eyes and you're yeah. going to be amazed at how differently we talk and move throughout every scene. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, these are very consistent characterizations and the things that change are what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And how that affects them. But like we're not, it, it, there wasn't necessarily like an overemphasis on like, you know, in the scene where they meet together, they're really going to be giggly in 19. It's mm-hmm. like, nah, he, he kind of looks like the way he does anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was interesting watching Judy Greer um, again as a lead actor, which we so rarely get, mm-hmm. but um, certainly never get a lead performance from Judy Greer that stretches this much time and has like this dynamic of a character yeah, that's where true. she gets to play her at her most open and vulnerable and naive and her most cynical and hurtful and nasty. And, um, you know, she, um, gets to be very bleak and like very, she goes from very dark places, yeah. but, but there is also just like the exuberant thrill of like two college lovers, like, giggling together in bed and yeah, teasing and each other about how what what geniuses they're going to be later. Yeah, yeah, and getting really really excited over like Henry James and all this kind of stuff. It yeah. Um I, yeah, I I agree. I I I didn't really know what to expect knowing that I was going into to seeing um a character like transform over time, but I agree with you. I I don't think it was used as a as a stunt and I think the 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 sort of journey that the actors went on was very subtle and was more about these characters kind of settling into their, into their lives and, you know, just having, having things happen to them, but yeah, nothing, nothing so huge that you would, um, you know, think of it as like a, I don't know, like an Eddie Redmayne role where it's like, Oh my God, he transformed himself right. into, um, but yeah, but yeah, you still, you still see the, you know, especially, especially, uh, Judy Greer's character, Sonny, you really see her change over to, over time and, and mature and just how her, you know, her life has this effect on her. Um, 
and I and it was uh, I think probably the best performance I've ever seen from her just because the you know because we we do get the luxury of being with her and this character for two hours and um, it's a much better script than a lot of uh, a lot of what we've seen so sure. far um, from the movies. Well, like like we I, talked about in the first segment of this of this podcast, it's like it's the film is just such a fundamentally different medium. Yeah, there's not really the opportunity. It w- it would be a pretty out there art film that tried to tell what we ultimately feel watching it as a stage play is like maybe a little too generic uh, of a story. But like if you tried to do this on cinema where you're like casting Judy Greer as a 19 year old and a 57 year old, it's, it's, it just makes you roll your eyes. Like, I mean, I like, and, and, and to be fair, I I yeah. think me and you disagree on this, but like I fucking hate the season finale of Six Feet Under because I think the old age makeup looks so fucking shitty. And I think in general, like uh, makeup has gotten astounding now. Like yeah. makeup effects are so good now. Mm-hmm. Old age makeup always looks fucking trash. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I... I can't see the makeup at the end of Six Feet Under because I'm crying too hard. So, <laughs> but in in general, I, I do agree with you. Old age makeup tends to look bad. But yeah, I mean, I mean, the way that this that this production does it is it it just it it. The way this production does it is it has faith in its actors and it has faith in its audience. It has it it says, okay, well these are these are our talented, experienced right. actors. They can do this. You're a smart audience. You can tell what's going but, on. But it but it's able to do that because it's a it's the stage. Because yeah. there's you know, it's like the set dressing is minimal compared if you're doing a film and you didn't do any old age makeup uh-huh. uh, or young makeup <laughs> or whatever and you had and you shot it like this as a movie, you'd be like, Wait, what the fuck is going on? Why are these like middle-aged people acting like they're in college. I think what we're really trying to say is that Judy Greer needs to be in a Richard Linklater project. I guess. I <laughs> guess we could start making a Judy Greer movie now and see what happens in 20 years yeah, when it gets released. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, in general, it's like, it, it, you can't, it's almost like impossible to compare it not sure. Ju- not just in that like limited way where it's like she gets to play a woman over the course of like what 40, 40 years, years of her life. Like that, yeah. Um, not only that, but also like uh, we got to be in a room with her. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. like there is the power of the close up. There's all sorts of things about cinema that yeah. can be really powerful and make an actor's performance move mm-hmm. you. But like to be in a room with someone for two hours as mm-hmm. they live this life in front of you, mm-hmm. that's just like a certain power that theater has or yeah, whatever. Absolutely. And, and like being able to just, yeah, like every Judy, every movie we cover on this podcast, it's like, and then we oh cool oh here we go we're feasting because Judy Greer's on screen and yeah. she's gone yeah. or whatever and it's like if you want you can only watch Judy Greer during this fucking yeah. play. I I would say that um, of the performances of hers that we've covered thus far on this podcast, the uh, the performance that she that she has in another marriage reminded me most of her performance in Addicted to Fresno, mm. uh, where you have this character who is um, very intelligent and very prickly and speaks her mind and doesn't really care about uh, taking up too much space. She doesn't she doesn't have time to 
to handle other people's feelings with kid gloves. Right. And that really reminded me of her character in Addicted to Fresno. I mean, ag- again, this is a a very different piece where there's more, it's more about nuance and empathy than about um, the, you know, going for the joke the way that, right. it, that the most of Addicted to Fresno is. But this, I do, I do still think if you had to put this in one, if you had to put this in one box, it would be difficult. But like, mm-hmm. generally speaking, there is a lot of this play that does feel like acerbic dark comedy, yeah. Judy Greer. Yeah. And there's nothing in this play that feels like wedding planner, Judy Greer. No, no, absolutely. I, I, this play is, um, I think written from a very, uh, feminist lens where you see a lot of her dreams and her passions, uh, getting, dampened pretty early in her life because of powerful men and sort of the 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 gender politics of that where uh where her her husband uh who is you know um not only a man but who comes from a uh, a famous literary family is able to get a book deal right away and she's struggling and she deals with like um, with the you know sexism in the publishing industry and um, you know you, you kind of see how how all of those things kind of um, help help to shape her choices how it's not only you know oh she falls in love and she gets pregnant and then her husband cheats on her but also just how the sort of the the structure that she's that she's dropped into it <laughs> I had to laugh because there was um, the sort of typical turn your cell phones off announcements uh, from the God Mike at the beginning of the show. And they did this, <laughs> they did a land acknowledgement where they said, you know, Steppenwolf, is, you know, we acknowledge the indigenous tribes that, um, that stu- the, the original stewards of the land um, that we live on. And we acknowledge the, um, the, the labor of, you know, black people um, that allowed this this city to develop, and you know, we are always working to um, you know to improve uh, our uh, our inclusive our inclusion of historically marginalized groups. And I was just sort of like, okay, uh, <laughs> these were expensive tickets, but okay. And then it's like we watch a play about like upper middle class white people. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't I I don't know the Steppenwolf well enough to know if this is an anomaly or if they only do plays like this or what, like, mm. I, don't, I, that's, I, that's, I, I, I am unqualified to comment on that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see that there are ways that they are trying. Um, I, I know like this year they are doing a, um, a series of like, uh, queer and trans creators, like, like a, like a special, um, performance series from queer and trans creators. So they're not, they're not, not trying, but I just, I just thought like in the, just in the, in the experience of going to see another marriage, there are a lot of individual sort scenes of ironic. that if you just take the thrust of any, any, any given scene of this movie, it's like, Oh yeah. Woody Allen made five movies like this in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of like people in New York apartments who yes. claim to hate the writer parties where they go and get praised and then they have an argument at home with their wives and they're like, No, what are you talking about? You're a you're a beautiful, intelligent woman. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know and Yeah. It was I mean, the it it was um it it, it was interesting to see 
the take that a that a woman writer had on that story but yeah that story is very well worn territory and some of the arguments and some of the characters decisions are like okay we've seen this before yeah yeah. um but yeah i i think i think judy greer did a really fantastic job um with this character i mean i could i could see how it would be difficult to make sunny likable because at first she is very prickly and she is very um sort of on the defensive and she has her walls up um but she still co- comes across as like so like charismatic and engaging and, and charming and, and it's like well you'd hate me but i really want to know you and you know that just that just um you know throughout the play she is she's um I mean, she just brings what she has you know that judy greer magic to the performance i did however no, just sort of, just a technical note. Um, I had a little trouble hearing her, and I think probably that's because the the majority of her career has been film and television, and the other three actors who she was working with are more. Um, their their careers more geared towards the stage like like two of the other actors were Steppenwolf ensemble members, and then I just read in in the bio that the fourth. Um, did like has majority like like Broadway and um, touring musical experience and just in terms of like like volume and and like allowing one's voice to like reach the back wall I I ha- I didn't have difficulty hearing Judy Greer but I wasn't able to hear her as well and fully as I was the other actors I I found every actor it largely it be, just because it is in the round like it, for me it yeah. largely just depended on whether or not they were facing me yeah and, and then there are certain think... scenes where there are other sounds going on and I just have audio processing things where sure. it's like oh there's music happening in the background so I'm really struggling to focus on what's being said yeah also I, I think the the structure of the stage might have messed with the acoustics a little bit where there's like that um the sort of the box of the screen that's above the stage i think that might have dampened the acoustics a little bit possibly i mean i i don't know I, i'm i'm not a sound professor uh yeah but o- overall um i'm really glad that that we got to to see her perform live i mean especially um especially in the context of doing this podcast where now it's like okay we've we've seen like what she can do when she is given the material when she's given sure. the 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 stage and the and the cast and like how great she can we be. have a we have a new appreciation of the full spectrum that yes. we didn't have before yeah and it's going to make going to the key man so much harder maybe the key man's great we don't know we don't know <laughs> but but we bumped it back to ep- to, to to episode 12 right um and uh fireworks are going off so that's yeah. exciting hopefully fireworks are going off and yeah. not shotguns um how did you feel as an elder millennial uh did you feel properly pandered to by all the music choices oh yeah uh, the, I... the pre-show music and all the interstitial music in between scenes was just like uh the creme de la creme of yeah, mid-aughts like... indie rock yeah yeah there's a lot like of like in rainbows yeah. a lot of andrew bird uh, yeah we, i i think that was not only pandering to our age but also like the fact that it's like chicago theater and andrew bird is like a chicago indie artist um yeah there was there was a ton of andrew bird there was ockerville river um, at one point oh, little what, black yeah, sheep boy um, yeah pj harvey yeah um uh, a little bit of arcade fire I heard. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely felt pandered to and a little bit old. <laughs> well, do you, and, and that's, and like, it, it didn't occur to me exactly why, cause they would set a date 
like the like the first scene uh, with them in college. It's 1999. Yeah, and they start playing the Rat by Walk or they. Yeah, they start playing the rap by the Walkmen. Uh-huh. And that song is much later than 1999. And oh, I was like, it? well, that's anachronistic. But of course, like, all of the songs are from the same time period. Right. And they're not, it's not, it's not like, you got to remember, it was 2007. And then yeah. Paper Planes by MIA plays <laughs> to, like, set the mood. Like, the music is separate from the time period. Yeah. And I realized, once I realized the framing device of the daughter sort of framing the story or whatever, mm-hmm. that, like... Because she is the age she is, she is just like the music of the 70s. You know, the way we would be like the music of the 70s and not really remember that, like, actually all that shit with the Allman Brothers happened before all of that shit. You know, like, like in our minds, it's just like the music of the 70s. And like for her, like when she is telling her parents story or thinking about... Uh, their courtship or whatever and she is thinking like oh yeah 1999 2007 basically the same soundtrack that's a good point uh, it's yeah. uh, you know um, so I that was how I interpreted the music choices what this is like very specifically a daughter um, I like that interpretation yeah and I and I did notice that in, in that first scene where they're in college um, Nick is wearing a neutral milk hotel t-shirt and mm-hmm. I was like Oh, well, look at you, Mr. Cool. Yeah. Mr. I'm up on the hip indie rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It did make, uh, yeah, they didn't do, they didn't do too much of that, but, uh, but the, yeah, there is, there's a moment where they're like watching the, um, the, the, the Clinton, um, Monica Lewinsky, uh, hearings and, and getting angry. Uh, well, specifically she's getting angry. Yeah, yeah. She's getting angry. He's like asleep. Um, but yeah, some of it did kind of feel like, oh, I remember that. Oh, time to crumble into dust. <laughs> All of it gone, like tears in the rain. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we have the theater. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. We got to live once more. Yeah, we got yeah. to visit, revisit all of our old friends. Like yes, Johnny Greenwood and, and, and Monica Lewinsky and Monica Lewinsky and, and Will Sheff and My Little Pony and <laughs> and listening to a Walkman. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, um, even if even though we're talking about the theater tonight, um, this is still ninety six Greers, and we still have the other segment. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is: um, this play is running through the end of July. Judy Greer is here in Chicago. So Patrick, yeah. if Judy Greer yeah. was gonna hang out with you for a day yeah. um in Chicago, in the Chicago area, what what would you wanna do with Judy Greer in Chicago? Oh, I would invent a uh under the dome style dome uh to prevent Canadian sm- uh smoke and uh Morgan Wallen fans from entering the city limits. <laughs> Because I have stayed inside for 48 hours, uh, avoiding the uh, toxic air surrounding us, and it's really bumming me out. So if, if me and her could work out a little box that we hit a button on it, and then it goes boop, and then suddenly we're, we're shielded from the elements, that'd be nice. Uh, my actual answer is that I think Judy Greer is someone who I could hold the hand of and like get through a thing. T- Um, and I feel like if I'm ever going to ride the Ferris wheel on Navy pier with someone, I would want it to be Judy Greer. Cause I, here's what I, here's how I picture it. Once we start going up, I admit that I'm a little scared of heights. And then she goes, what I'm scared of. I thought you were the one who wanted, and I'm like, I want to do it cause you would be here. And she goes, well, I don't want to be here. And then like through that harrowing experience we have together, we, I think we would both start sort of laughing in terror. I, (laughs) 
So I, I, I know your fear of heights. Yeah. And I, I thought you were going to say like the bar in the John Hancock Tower or Willis Tower. I didn't think you were going to say that Ferris wheel. I don't have a specific fear of heights and I had some friends, some of our friends came to visit uh, several years ago and they wanted to go to Navy Pier and I said, hey, let's go on the Ferris wheel. It's a, it's a nightmare. Don't do it. No, never, never go on that Ferris wheel. There is strong winds coming off the lake. The little, you're in an open car that rocks back and forth. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am like hypothetically afraid for you and Judy Greer. I'm that, afraid for your hypothetical you know, safety. And, and we are afraid too. But here, here's honestly, the real fear is don't meet your heroes. You're going to disappoint them. You're going to say something stupid. And then for the rest of your life, you will know that you said something stupid. And Judy Greer looked at you and then smiled. But in her head, she thought, boy, that guy's stupid. But if we're both terrified for our lives, we're not going to chit chat. And I won't be wasting your time. Oh, man. I know it's it's you're not supposed to meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. No, 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 no. So no. what if she gets so scared that she like wh- horks up her hot dog over the over the that edge won't of disappoint the disappoint me? <laughs> I look more human and lovable. Puking out of uh like motion sickness and terror and and like too much too many sports peppers like that that's a natural human thing it's not going to disappoint me i'm going to disappoint me i'm really the only person who could disappoint me i don't know if i've ever been disappointed by another human the the foibles of the rest of humanity are totally acceptable and i have love in my heart for them but for myself yuck <laughs> so so yeah, I, I'm afraid that saying goes the, around the other way with me. So I would want to do something sort of relaxing. You know, I I like thinking that, uh, you know, Judy Greer seems like someone who uh, has a lot of um, passion, uh, a lot of interest, really like throws herself into something um, when... She, she has a new experience or, or when something is pleasant. So I would want to uh, go outside city limits and go to the Chicago Botanical Garden with Judy Greer, um, which is in the north suburbs. Um, it is just a really spectacularly beautiful place. Um, so many different uh, plants and, and, and flowers and just the, the, the most gorgeous landscaping. And if you just go there on a nice summer day and, and walk around, uh, you, you see they have Japanese garden and they have like a, this like, uh, you know, little Island in like this little pond that's like, like sort of Monet inspired. And you, you know, go across the bridge and look at all the beautiful flowers and they've got a rose garden and a vegetable garden and like a, um, an, an orchard and uh, it's it's really just delightful even even if you're not a, a gardener or a plant person yourself it's it's just one of the most beautiful peaceful places and, and I think it would be really nice to maybe pack like a picnic lunch and go up to the botanical garden and I could just imagine her um, getting really excited over all the all the beautiful views and like you turn a corner and you see like the rose garden and I just imagine her like getting really excited and like grabbing my hand and like pulling me along and being like oh my god look at all these flowers you have a you have a much better fantasy life than me I must say <laughs> well I that gen- sounds very nice I generally think of my fantasy life as is there to to make me happy <laughs> so maybe that's the difference not me man <laughs> 
I got to come up with new and fantastic ways to feel miserable. Well, Godspeed. <laughs> what do you think Judy Greer's favorite uh, part would be? Of the botanical garden? Yeah. You know, there is that big, crazy bell tower. I think she'd be really into that. Um, especially because it goes off like every half hour or so. And uh, it's not something you really notice until you hear it. And maybe you're like me and you were directly under it and didn't notice it until it went off and you jumped out of your skin. Um, but it's it's just like a really neat feature. Um, it's, uh, it's like a, a sort of freestanding bell tower with a ton of different bells. They actually have like professional church bell players come in and give concerts sometime. Um, and it's just like a really unique feature. It's not something you see very often. Yeah, and it's just on this like beautiful little island that's just so gorgeously landscaped with all of these um, like indigenous plants. Um, and it, it, yeah, it just, it's just made to look like, like a Monet painting with just like, like hills and like swaths of coloring. Just like you're walking through this like dazzlingly beautiful display of nature and you just turn a corner and you see this weird structure and you're like, huh, I wonder what that is. And then bong and you're like, ah, but you know, so I, I, I think she, she'd be really into that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it would be fun. Yeah. And we'd have a picnic. Yeah, of course. I would venture to say that that another marriage is in a different enough category from the films that we've watched where uh, judilization is not really relevant. No. If we, I, if I we do see wanna, her in more plays, maybe I do we can start say, a new if, if you take the word judilization to be, uh, in this podcast in the past, to be like, how well do these directors, these writers, these producers, these projects that like hire her, uh-huh. Like, is was hiring, you know, like, how how much do they get out of that hire? Yeah. Um, and I was, I was thinking about, I don't know the story behind it, but I was thinking about, like, what led Judy Greer to the Steppenwolf? Um, why, why did they choose to utilize her? Yeah. I'm, I don't know if, I don't, I just, I don't know the Steppenwolf well enough to be like, is this highly unusual for them to get, like, someone who's mainly known for film and television who does not have a history there to, yeah. like... Yeah, because this was this was her debut. I mean, I mean, she is a graduate of the De, of DePaul. Sure, it's not um, like she's never acted on stage. Yeah, and and she does have Chicago. I mean, at least like like professionally, she has Chicago roots. Right, but she doesn't have um a. She's she not really. A, she doesn't have a lot of recent stage experience. No, I don't. No, believe. she doesn't. She she was she. I think she has like maybe one or two Broadway shows under her belt. Maybe one or two off Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but primarily she's film and television. So I yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, why she chose this play and why now? Um, I mean, it's it's certainly not uncommon for uh, well-known actors to to uh, perform on on Steppenwolf stage. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know why. You know what led her to another marriage. The only thing I can say for sure is, and I and I just I. I don't have everything in front of me. I forget, but uh, it's either the playwright or the director is um, also married to Michael Shannon. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Unfor- I wish I had that information ahead of me, but we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants in this recording. Oh yeah. Um, the his the playwright Kate Arrington is Michael Shannon's wife. So the very first episode of this uh, podcast was on Pottersville, which has the romantic pairing. uh, And I think first on screen, uh, they've been together, uh, Mm -hmm. Michael Shannon, 
and Judy Greer. Judy Greer is going to be the lead uh, in Michael Shannon's film directing debut. Yeah, Eric which, LaRue. Which I think, uh, Eric LaRue, which already played Sundance. And I don't know if that's getting distributed. Well, I don't know what the future of that is. But like, mm-hmm. I, I, I wonder if she is just like close friends with the Shannon, you know, clan or whatever. And yeah, just that sort could of, be. Uh, you know, they talked about the project or whatever, and it, it sort of just happened through those connections. But um, that it, seems most likely. It's not. It's not like she's the ringer. It doesn't feel like like oh, this is a role that Judy Greer was born to play, or like no one else could play. Like there's there's certain, uh, especially in the, like the smaller supporting roles or anything, where it's just like no one can knock this out of the park the way Judy Greer can. Right. And it doesn't feel, this doesn't feel like, oh, this is so in her wheelhouse. She does a great job with it, but it, right. doesn't, it doesn't feel like you would get this script and say, we have to get Judy Greer for this. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it was written. So my, her, my but... assumption is that there was some other like, just sort of, oh yeah, so-and-so knows so-and-so and there was a conversation and it was like, actually that would be kind of exciting because mm-hmm. of whatever artistic directions, Devin Wolf, whatever. Right. Um, but I, it was something I was thinking of about because it is unusual um, yeah. both in her career and I think generally uh, I think generally the Steppenwolf ha- has a pretty large ensemble they tend to work from yeah they, they they certainly do and a lot of people who also make forays into film and television well I mean television you you open a playbill in Chicago and half the cast has been on Chicago fire right uh, but yeah, there are a lot of well-known actors who were uh, part of... I mean, Gary Sinise was one of the co-founders of Steppenwolf, and you have... CSI New York. CSI New York, <laughs> and probably Chicago Fire. Um, John Mahoney, Frazier. Yeah, yeah, John... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just pulling out TV now. Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you have a lot, of, um, a lot of well-established... Uh, John Malkovich hosted that one episode of SNL. You know, <laughs> television actors. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, think, I think what you're suggesting, that, that social connection was probably uh, a big factor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we are, we are so glad that she's here and that we had this opportunity to see her perform live. It was really, uh, it was really special. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I think it, it has... Uh, made us even more uh, passionate about um, completing her filmography yeah. and discussing it with with for the benefit of all of you. Yeah, for sure. Aren't you lucky? Very. <laughs> I'm tired. This is this, yeah. is this is a very late recording. Yeah, for yeah. Us. This is a school night. So in, a, in addition, <laughs> in addition to not getting all of my uh, oxygen that I'm usually allotted, uh, yeah, <laughs> I am, I'm quite tired. So yeah, this may be a little bit of a loopy episode, but, yeah, but uh, I'm okay. very I'm very excited that we got to go see the play. Yeah, yeah, me too. Our our next episode will be the Key Man. Um, Hugo Weaving yeah, is the key man. Featuring Hugo Weaving and Brian Cox. Um, so, you know, pretty solid cast there. Uh, and uh, until next time, you can follow us on Mastodon at 96Greers at LaserDisc.Party. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Panda Bear Shape, where we also keep a running list of the utilization rankings. Uh, And until next time, I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And and say say goodbye goodbye to these. Live. (laughs)